This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode nine, and we are recording on Monday, December 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and the managing editor of Book Riot, and I'm here once again with returning guest Jen Northington, our events director at Book Riot, also co-host of the Book Rages podcast, part-time bookseller at Word, and member of five different book groups. Thank you for coming back on the show. I love being here. <laughs> <laughs> so we got so many questions um, for holiday recommendation like requests uh, for people giving gifts that we had to split it up into two shows. I did not predict that was going to happen. I really thought we'd be able to get it all into the last episode, but we didn't. So I brought Jen back to do part two. Um, There is also a holiday recommendation episode of the main Book Riot podcast. So if you listen to the main Book Riot podcast with um, Jeff O'Neill and Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm on it like once every six to eight weeks, they did a special episode that was just this sort of format. People wrote in with their questions, and Jeff and Rebecca recommended books to them, too. So if you're looking for ideas, you don't have a specific question in mind, maybe you can go back and listen to part one of our holiday recommendations, which came out two weeks ago, or you can, and or, slash or, you can listen to the Book Riot uh, main podcast, and they have an episode about it as well. Aren't there a couple of YouTube videos, too? Yes, there have been two YouTube videos. I did one and Rebecca did one about our Swiss Army holiday recommendations, which are books that we recommend to anyone. Like if so, if you're trying to get a book for somebody as a gift and you don't know them very well, um, we did two videos about books uh, that pretty much everyone will love. So you can find that at our uh, on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash video. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> no problem. They were very useful. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so for the new folks, if this is your first time listening, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. So you can write in with any questions that you have about uh, you know books that you need recommendations for, gifts you want to give, uh, if you need a recommendation for your book club, anything like that. You can email it to us, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can just go on to the website, bookriot.com slash, book, uh, slash getbooked, excuse me, and click on any of the episodes. There's a form at the bottom of every episode where you can drop in your question there as well. And that is it. All right. You want to just jump in? Let's just Let's do go. it. Let's go. All right. You want, here, uh, you read question one. Okay. First question. My mom is a big reader and I feel like I ought to have a pretty good handle on what she'll like. I give her books all the time, but with only middling success. It seems the books I think I most think fall in her wheelhouse are ones she never reads. Aw, that sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I have ideas to, for books to give her for Christmas, but I want to see what the experts say. She reads a lot of sci-fi, but older sci-fi. So Heinlein, she loves Connie Willis. We all love Connie Willis. <laughs> uh, she also reads everything Stephen King writes, did a college thesis on Tolkien, Rereads a lot. Shakespeare, To Kill a Mockingbird. Hated Twilight. Liked Hunger Games. Never read Harry Potter. Um, And that is a question from Dave. So, yes, your mom sounds great. She does. She sounds (laughs) like her her reading taste kind of mirrors my own, it looks like, which is cool. I also hated Twilight and liked The Hunger Games. Though I did read (laughs) Harry Potter. Let's just start there. She should read Harry Potter, obviously. (laughs) But, you know. Uh, So my first pick for her is Sorcerer to the Crown, which I keep talking about. It's by Zen Cho. Um, It has very Connie Willis sensibilities. It is high fantasy, which it doesn't seem like she's reading that much of. But I think if... 
she's going to like something, it's going to be this one. Um, so Sorcerer of the Crown is a 1800s set in England. There's a, a main character who was rescued from slavery as a child by a lord slash magician. Um, he is now sort of well-placed, but dealing with racial bias. And also women aren't supposed to do magic, but he comes across a very powerful female sorcerer, hijinks ensue. It's super fun. It's super smart. So for my first pick, uh, I pulled out where you said that she rereads a lot, especially To Kill a Mockingbird, which I also do. I reread uh, To Kill a Mockingbird every year. And so I was thinking that you could get her Ghost at a Watchman. And I understand that that is a controversial um, <laughs> pick because of the murkiness surrounding the book's publication. If you are listening and you aren't sure what I'm talking about, um, where have you been also? Um, you can, I mean, just go on to Book Riot and search Ghost at a Watchman. We've written any number of posts about it. But uh, if you can get it from the library, well, no, if you're giving it as a gift, go to a used bookstore. There you go. The publisher won't get any royalties if you go find it at a used bookstore. Um, but Ghost Setter Watchmen is the first version of To Kill a Mockingbird that Harper Lee wrote and then put in a drawer uh, after her editor had her rewrite it. Uh, and the rewrite gave us To Kill a Mockingbird. So it's really interesting as somebody who rereads Mockingbird over and over again and who loves it to go back and see what her initial vision for the story was, which is very different than the book that we eventually got. Famously, Atticus in Ghost Setter Watchmen is older than he is in To Kill a Mockingbird. He's a uh, racist. He's a... Um, like a clan he's been he goes to clan meetings and stuff like that and it's 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 hard it's hard to read but there's so much to talk about especially for someone who is, has a deep-seated love for the first book um so if you're in a place with your mom where you want to discuss the books that you're reading with her then i think that would be a great pick because you could i mean there's just so much to pick apart um with someone who has loyalty to the first book despite the fact that it's kind of a shady publication situation <laughs> yeah uh, I think that's a good one. Um, my next pick is China Mavel's Embassy Town. If you haven't read China Mavel, it kind of doesn't matter. I'd, I, I've, written, <laughs> I've written a start here for him, but I almost believe it doesn't matter where you start because he's so good. Um, and the reason I'm picking Embassy Town in particular is because it's super high concept science fiction. Um, it's about a planet where, I mean, in this sort of world, humans have made it into, you know, the interstellar community, I'm going to say, and are interacting with other species and, you know, sort of colonizing, but not exactly like friendlier than colonizing other planets. And so they are sharing a planet with these aliens who cannot lie. Um, and so you can imagine that when they interact with humans, things might get interesting. Um, and Miele is an amazing writer. He's very smart. He weaves a lot of philosophical and political ideas into his fiction. Um, and NBC Town is just a fascinating, fascinating story. And I think that it has some of that older sci-fi, but like updated older sci-fi feel to it. Um, I've got one that I also picked because of its older sci-fi kind of sensibility. And that is pretty much anything by John Scalzi, but especially mm -hmm. The Old Man's War. Um, John Scalzi writes this kind of, it's not Heinlein-ish, but it's, it's, it's OG, you know, it's old school um, science fiction. And in The Old Man's War, it's about a, a man who's 75. He turns 75 and he visits his wife gra his wife's grave on that day. And then he goes and joins the army. So this is in the future and humanity has, um, is in interstellar space and are looking for planets that are Earth-like that we can occupy and colonize. We're also battling aliens who also want to occupy and colonize um, these planets. And the war is fought by the elderly. So like the... The, the um, Colonial Defense Force is the, the name of the organization that's running the military thing, and they don't want younger 
soldiers. They want people with life experience and lived wisdom. So the entire um, army is people who are older and they are taken off earth. They're not ever allowed to come back. They have to serve for two years uh, doing fighting and then they're given like a homestead. And it's the book is about a man who goes off and does that. And it's actually serious. So she likes that there's, you know, more where that came from. But um, John Scalsey also wrote, oh gosh, what's it called? Red Shirts, which is a yeah. uh, a book about how, you know, the fa- how famously in the original Star Trek TV show, if you wore a red shirt, the ensigns who wore red shirts died because they were lower level officers and weren't characters that no one cared about. And so he wrote a book up from the perspective of a red shirt. That's really great. So she likes Star Trek. That's a or good the, um Oh God, what was that movie called? It's one of my favorites. I don't know. Oh shit. Is it Star Wars? I mean, Star no. Trek? I can't, well, I can't Kyle, believe it. Just, you can bleep this whole part out. I can't remember the name of the movie, so now I can't talk about is it. Is it Battles ba- Galactica? Yeah, it's not bad, but it's uh, oh. Galaxy Quest. It's <laughs> Galaxy Quest. If she's ever seen and liked Galaxy Quest, which, P.S., if she's a Star Trek fan, she must watch. <laughs> um, I like to say that Red Shirts is basically Galaxy Quest, but like in book form. Rad. You've okay. got one more. Oh, I've got one more. So uh, the next one is Anne Leckie's uh, Ancillary series. The first book is Ancillary Justice. These books are amazing. The main character is a spaceship AI who is now an embodied being, like in a body, walking around, interacting with other people in bodies, but the brain inside is a spaceship's, a former spaceship, artificial intelligence. So that's really interesting to start with. And then the character becomes a major player in a major intergalactic political conflict. Um, And it's so interesting in part because like a spaceship AI doesn't have a gender. So when you put that brain in a body and then expect it to interact with other people, the sort of confusions and interesting, you know, things that come out of this person who doesn't have any concept of gender whatsoever are really fascinating. Um, And that's not even the point of the book. That's just like a side cool thing about it. Mm -hmm. But it is also hard sci-fi in the traditional sense. And it's so good. And it's a three book series. So she likes the first one. There's more where that came from. All right. Question two. Uh, This is from somebody who signs searching for bookish match, which I think is cute. So I'm shopping for a friend who is interested in reading Latin American literature. He's recently read works from Jorge Luis Borges, uh, Horacio, mm, I don't know. Thank you. I knew I was going to say it wrong. Isabel Allende, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Pablo Neruda, Octavio Paz, and Paulo Cello, to name a few. He is interested in authors published during the Latin American literary boom, but also enjoys more contemporary work. He enjoys stories that involve multi-generational narratives or stories involving travel through multiple countries or regions. He doesn't mind romance in the novels, but he appreciates it being kept to a minimum unless it's comical. (laughs) Okay. Um, He also enjoys historical fiction, stories referencing other literary works, and delectable descriptions of food. Amen. Lastly, he does also enjoy reading nonfiction biographies of influential Latin American figures. All right. You go first. Okay. So my first pick is Terra Nostra by Carlos Fuentes. This is an older book, but it's amazing. It's a doorstop. It's, I think it's more than a thousand pages long and yeah, it's, (laughs) it's hefty. Um, and it takes place sort of during the time of Columbus, but it's back in Spain. And there were a lot of political things happening during that time period. And it's, 
I want to say it's surrealist historical fiction. Like time does not flow in a linear fashion. Um, and Fuentes is a really complex writer. It is an amazing reading experience if you're willing to tackle like a big, a great big book. But it sounds like this person is because multi-generational narratives um, is exactly, you know, it's mm. I, it's not exactly multi-generational, but it's a huge sweeping kind of book. So I think that would be, if he hasn't read it already, that would be perfect. Uh, so my first pick came out this year. It's science, or the translation came out this year. Science Preceding the End of the World. It's by Yuri Herrera and was translated by, brain going blank, Lisa Dillman. Um, and it's really short. It's probably more of a novella. It's like 120 pages. I keep talking about this book, but with reason. Um, it's a, It follows a girl named Makina who is crossing from one country into another illegally. And the countries are never named, but it's fairly obvious that this is she's crossing it from Mexico into the U.S. looking for her brother, who also made the crossing um, earlier, several months earlier, and has now gone missing, is no longer answering letters or, uh, or making phone calls. So her mother sends her across the border to find him. And while she's on, on the way to go find her brother, she also is running an errand for like a, a criminal overlord, not because she wants to, but because she has to. It's complicated. Hashtag complicated. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, you say he likes uh, books about travel through multiple countries or regions. This has both. So she travels through her village into kind of this wilderness. She has to cross this Styx-like river with this Karen kind of figure um, and almost dies. And then into the desert of what you assume is probably Texas. And then into out of like out of the desert where she gets shot but carries on because she's so rad. Um, and then into the American suburbs. And it's so jarring, like that in 120 pages to go from a village to like the middle of nowhere where you're being led by a coyote, you know, to um, like a, a, I don't know, my neighborhood. It's just, it's a really interesting and timely book. And the translation is really great. He's doing a lot of things here with um, like metaphors of the underworld because that that's so true to life of the experience of people who come here um, without documentation is that they don't exist in, you know, the open world of American life because they can't uh, without, you know, papers or whatever. And so uh, it's very humanizing. It's a really like gut punch, powerful little book for 120 pages. And I just love it. Nice. I am adding that to my TV. So good. I like I keep I, I keep pitching it as like when I read Cormac McCarthy, this is what I want from Cormac mm-hmm. McCarthy, but I'm not getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nice. the highest praise I can give it. <laughs> Um, So my second pick is Clandestine in Chile by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So I'm a Marquez completist. I've read like everything he's ever written, I thought. So a couple years ago when one of my best friends handed me this book as my Christmas present, I was like, what? Um, It's basically a report written by Marquez about the Chilean filmmaker Miguel Latin's clandestine visit to his home country after 12 years in exile. So he was exiled from Chile, Latin was, and um, and then came back sort of under like false pretenses. Um, and Marquez like wrote this amazing nonfiction short book about it. It's uh, published by NYRB and it's fascinating because not only are you getting like Marquez's writing, but it's nonfiction, which he doesn't really do, about another interesting political figure. So it's just, I just thought it was fascinating. It's really well done. Um, I didn't know much about the political situation in Chile when I read it. And so I felt like I learned some interesting things and also got this really, you know, fascinating portrayal of the filmmaker. It's really good. I highly recommend it. 
Okay, um, my second pick for this was The Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Natel, and it's translated by J.T. Lichtenstein. And this, uh, we had a post go up on the site today of our favorite books of 2015 that were overlooked or didn't get enough buzz um, or readership. And this was my pick for the most, the best overlooked book of 2015, um, as books in translation very often are. But uh, Guadalupe Natel is a... Mexican author, and this is a semi-autobiographical portrait of an artist as a young man sort of situation about a woman who is, she's basically monologuing the story of her childhood to her her therapist. She's on her therapist's couch telling her the story of her childhood. She's born with a deformity in her eye, and her family spends inordinate amounts of time and effort in the 70s trying to fix it, even though it doesn't like impede her daily life. They just don't like how she looks, basically. And then her family starts to fall apart. They experience a series of tragedies. They experience a series of separations and mo- and international moves. There's that element of um, traveling through multiple countries or regions that your friend really likes. And um, it's really sharp. Like it, The thing that I love about this book is we so rarely get books about the internal life of women. And and even more rarely get books about the internal life of girls. And so uh, an examination of her really eccentric upbringing and how that influenced, I mean, it's basically autobiographical, so influenced the quote-unquote narrator, who is the author, um, to turn to books and reading uh, really just fascinated me. So if, if your friend is a, a reader and, and likes to read about reading or read about art or um, the like internal life of artists, then I think they would really enjoy this. So yeah. Oh, that's it. That's it for that question. Yeah. Okay. Question three. I you, will. I will go. take it. Yeah. This one is unsigned. Um, hi, Amanda and guest. I am looking for a Christmas present for my long lost half sister. We literally met each other for the first time this November. She is 21 and says she is a non-reader, which breaks my heart a little. I'm looking for a book that may pique her interest. And I thought a neat theme would be a book about finding slash reuniting with a long lost family member or friend. Any suggestions would be appreciated. I love this question so much. Me too. It's like, like my feelings. <laughs> I know my heart grew three sizes. It's Hunter. It's Hunter. Like, this is such a good question. 21. Um, do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Okay. okay. Um, so my first pick for this is Saga Volume 1. Um, oh, gosh. I can't. My brain is blanking on who. It's Fiona Staples does the art. And who and writes Brian it? And Brian Kavon. Thank you. I, gosh, I knew that. Um, I picked Saga because it's a comic. And comics are great for people who aren't really into reading um, for obvious reasons. And the art is amazing. It's beautiful. But also there are a number of reunions in the book. Saga is like a space opera about a a couple who gets married, but they are sort of star-crossed. They come from two different planets who are at war with each other. So um, they meet when the man is taken prisoner of war and the woman is his guard. So they're from opposing armies. Um, They meet, they fall in love, they run off. They get married, they get pregnant, they have a baby, and that's the first panel is, like, her giving birth to their child. Like, literally the first panel. Um, And so then they have to kind of go on the run because everything about their love is is hated by their respective governments and by their families, essentially. And then as they go off uh, on the run trying to save their own lives and stay alive— they are, are separated and come together. They reunite with his family, her family over time. And Saga is in, I think, like the, the fifth volume just came out, didn't it? Or was it the fourth? 
Anyway, it's in several volumes at this point. So it's a lot of that kind of thing of separating, coming back together, finding old friends, old enemies. It's, it's this grand epic. And Saga was a gateway to comics for me. It was the first comic that I ever really read and loved. And now I'm like super deep into comics and love them so much. Um, so I think that would be a really great pick for her. Yeah. Read Saga. Saga is such a good pick. Um, I only have one other one to answer or as answer to this question because I really do think like when I saw you put Saga and I was like, oh, yes, that's the perfect <laughs> one. Um, but I also thought of Twelfth Night, which is one of the Shakespeare plays that I'm most familiar with, oddly enough. Um, I don't know why it just happened that way. But it's about two uh, twins who – two twins. It's about <laughs> twins who are separated in a shipwreck and then over the course of the play are trying to find each other um, and then are reunited. And it's uh, it's a really fun play but also has a lot of feelings. Like it's one of the comedies um, and it's really entertaining. And I thought a neat edition of Twelfth Night would be a cool gift. Um, I know Shakespeare can be a little intimidating but it's also something that, you know, everybody has some sort of minimum pop culture familiarity with. Yeah. Um, so I like the Folger editions but there are many, many others. Um, and if you do a search for, you know, Twelfth Night, Editions, you will find a bunch of options. So, so that was that was my suggestion. But saga, but saga. Yeah, totally saga. I mean, like, yes, saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have another suggestion for you, and it's Shadow Shapers by Daniel Jose Older. And I actually cannot tell you what who gets reunited in this mm-hmm. book because it happens near the end, and it's a big spoiler. So, just trust me. There's a reunion in the book. Uh, This is a YA fantasy novel about a girl named Sierra who lives in Brooklyn, and she is um, embarking on her summer. She just wants to hang out with her friends, make art. She's working on a big uh, mural on the side of a building. She's a great artist. But then a zombie crashes the first party of the summer and tries to kill her, Uh, which, you know, that'll put a damper on your art making. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, she starts to notice that the graffiti murals in her neighborhood in Bed-Stuy are moving. Like, they're crying. They're also slowly disappearing. And so, of course, something strange is going on. She discovers that she has this ability to, sh- to do what's called shadow shaping, which is to take spirits and inject them into works of art and then make so the work of art comes alive and then essentially does her bidding, which is, hey, that's a rad power. And a big bad villain has come to destroy her and people like her. There's a bit of a romance. She, she hooks up with um, a guy named Robbie who's a really cute graffiti artist and she has to um you know untangle some knots about her family because her power is inherited and um her but her mother doesn't want to talk about it and doesn't acknowledge that it's real so she's got to deal with that she has to not be killed by zombie guys it's just a lot of fun it's a it's a page turner um and it does that great thing where like Brooklyn is a character in the book which I love I love books that can pull that off make setting a character um so for somebody who's not really a a self-proclaimed reader I think this would be a good pick yeah anyway and there is a reunion but uh like I said I can't tell you what it is okay (laughs) oh let's do a sponsor all right um before we go to question four so our sponsor for this show is ourselves our quarterly boxes specifically which I want to tell you about if you haven't heard about them especially the young adult box so we have two we have the um the mainline quarterly box where you get hand-picked books, uh, all based around a theme. And the theme, Rebecca Shinsky, um, our director of content and community, she picks the theme and the books every quarter. And so you get hand-picked books from us and bookish stuff. So like we've had hats, we've had bookish flasks, we've had like pennants. 
um, that you can hang on your wall, prints, and the books come with, uh, one of the books usually comes with something a little extra. So like um, notes from the author. We've had authors write extra chapters for us for some of the books that we've sent out. We've had authors um, annotate their book with post-its and then put the post-its, copy the post-its and put them all in every book that we sent out. Um, it's just a really fun thing. I don't know. Like, I just love it so much. I, <laughs> since I, I have, since I don't do the quarterly box, I'm not in charge of it at all. I, I don't know what comes in it and I'm subscribed to it. So I get it every, every quarter, every three months and opening it, I do the unboxing videos for us on YouTube. And it's always a surprise. Cause I mean, sometimes Rebecca runs stuff by me, but I think, you know, before she puts stuff in the box, but nine times out of 10, I have no idea what's going to be in it. And it's always so great. And we, we try to pick books that are, um, Ones that you probably don't already own. Um, and even if you do, you can give them away as gifts. It's just a lot of fun. And we do a, another version, the young adult version. And this one I want to do especially highlight because the next box of the next box for the young adult quarterly box ships in January. So you still have time to sign up for it. And Kelly Jensen, who's our associate editor, she handles the young adult box. She's a former YA librarian. She's heavy, heavy, heavy into the young adult world. The books that she picks for the for this box are amazing. Like they're just they're fantastic reads. And I have almost never heard of them. I'm not deep into YA, so that's not terribly surprising. But when I get the box, it's always like these rad under the radar gems that she's discovered, um, which I know there are a lot of YA subscription services out there that you can get like a box a month, a book a month or whatever, but they always end up, I don't know, to me, they always end up being bestsellers that I probably would have bought regardless. But um, the YA box is, yeah, it's more under the radar. Yeah. Uh, it's and just, the other, oh, go the ahead. other thing that's great about the YA box is that because YA books are a little bit cheaper than grown up books, you get more in the box as yes. well as bookish items. Um, so like that always makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> do like, get more. I can get even more books. So there's more than one book in there, in that box. Yeah. There, there's more than one book in the main box too, well, but there's true. like, but there's more than two there's in the YA box. There's more in the YA box. And yes. there's no overlap uh, in the no. books or the items that we send. So if you subscribe to both boxes, you're not going to get repeats and they don't ship the same month either. So the, the, um, the main box just shipped in December, the YA box will ship in January. So you're not hit with the charge, you know, like the same time. Um, and so, yeah, you can just go to quarterly and oh, is it quarterly? You know what? I never remember the it's quarterly.co, no M on the end. So go to quarterly.co. And if you just click curators in the upper left hand corner of the homepage, you can find Book Riot is right there um, and you can go ahead and subscribe. So thank you to us for sponsoring us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to question number four. And I'm going to read it because I have nothing for this. This is all you. <laughs> I have literally nothing. Okay. So this is from Amanda H. Uh, Hi, Amanda. I'm a big fan of this podcast. I would like some holiday gift recommendations for my cousin. She's really interested in diving deeper into young adult free verse and poetry, and I would like to get her some books for the holidays. I know she's read Brown Girl Dreaming, One, and The Crossover. I would love more recommendations. Yeah, I got nothing. No, Jen, go. <laughs> all right. So I just love that this is a thing that I'm seeing more of now, too, because Brown Girl Dreaming was so very, very good. Yes. Um, so amazing. And I think for a lot of people, it was their first introduction into YA, YA free verse, um, which makes me so happy. Uh, so I have, a, I have a few recommendations for you. Um, the first one is Christine Hepperman's Poisoned Apples Poetry for You. What this is, is it's a collection of poems 
Um, it's more like a short story collection than a novel in free verse, but they're poems uh, that recast fairy tales in feminist perspectives. So you're reading about dorm rooms instead of Cinderella or, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. Um, but it's it's all cast inside of this fairy tale metaphor. Um, and it's so affecting. I wish I could go back in time and give this book to myself at really any age, like 12, 14, 16, 18, 20. Like it is so <laughs> powerful and moving. And I think the thing that free verse poetry does, um, or poetry specifically does, is it encapsulates these thoughts in such beautiful, small, short sentences that they get through even more. Um, so Poisoned Apples, I just, I've been recommending it to everybody since it came out. It's so good. It's so beautiful. Um, and then the next one I have for you is one that's pretty high on my TBR pile because I've been hearing such amazing things about it. It's called Inside Out and Back Again by Tanai La, uh, excuse me, I'm Sorry that I'm mispronouncing this. Tana lie. Um, and it's a coming-of-age story set during Vietnam. It won the Newbery Honor and National Book Award. Um, it's based on the author's own experience of leaving Vietnam after the fall of Saigon and coming to America with her family. So it's an immigrant story. Um, it's but you know set sort of in our history rather than present day. Um, and she's a beautiful writer. I've read like a bit here and there, um, and then had to put it down. But I cannot wait to go back to it. Um, so I think that would be a great one. And then. I, I was almost hesitant to put this on here, but just in case she hasn't already read Ellen Hopkins, like everything Ellen Hopkins has written is free verse. Um, and she's amazing. Um, her book Crank was like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, it's, I, it's hard for me to estimate how many thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies that book has sold, but she is incredible. And she tackles really rough mm -hmm. teen stuff. Um, and so, yeah, she's, if, if your friend has not already picked her up, definitely worth picking up. All right. Do you want to read the next question? Yes. Okay. I will read the next question. Question five. Question five. We're just blazing right through these. Yeah. Uh, okay. So question five is also from an unnamed person. Hello, unnamed person. <laughs> Every December, I hunt around for books set during the holidays, but that aren't necessarily about Christmas. I don't want something especially depressing, but I don't want fluff either. I think the closest I've come to a favorite was the Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. Like, I feel like we should have, like, a drinking game. I know. What an I've never read any Connie Willis. Oh, you should read some. Apparently, because everyone <laughs> wants recommendations about Connie Willis. You should read To Say Nothing of the Dog. That is the place to start with her, especially because it's, like, almost like a romance novel, but not. Ooh. It's so great. Um, okay, anyway, back to the question. <laughs> so this person's favorite was Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. Uh, it's set on Christmas Eve, and I think it's even snowing in Oxford, and it has the added bonus of a great female protagonist and time travel yes totally um are there others you can recommend okay so yeah okay i'll go first you go the book that you're looking for is 2 a.m at the cat's pajamas <laughs> by marie helene bertino right i think so yeah yes I okay do. uh i love this book so much it has one of my favorite lines in books ever but i can't say it because it has an f the f bomb in it <laughs> and i want to keep our non-explicit rating um but it's a good line anyway uh so this takes place on christmas eve it follows a girl named madeline altamari who has just lost her mother she's nine years old and she wants to be a jazz singer she's precocious but not in that annoying way chop okay little mini rant precocious child narrators drive me bonkers i i no kid talks like that, you know, like, it's just, <laughs> um, but Madeline is smart in that she, she's got life smarts. Like her, her mom 
is dead and her father is useless. Like he's he's locked himself in his room basically and uh, hasn't come out because of depression and he's self-medicating and all this stuff. And so she's basically raising herself and has learned so much in doing that in the period of time that her mother has died. So she's precocious in that way, but she's not like, you know, reading little women over and over and uh, doing really well in school like so many precocious child narrators that we encounter. Anyway, um, so she has a really bad day at school and comes to, um, she wants to search out this jazz club called the Cat's Pajamas where she discovers that her mother sang and she wants to make her onstage debut and that's what she's going to do. And she can because her dad doesn't care what she does. So whatever. Um, So it follows her. It also follows her fifth grade teacher whose name is Serena, who has just moved to Philadelphia after getting um, a divorce and is going to a holiday party where her old high school crush will be, who really traumatized her. And um, so there's that happening. And then there's also, you're following the owner of the Cat's Pajamas, who is, uh, his name is Lorca, and he gets busted by the cops for having like people smoking inside and just a bunch of small stuff, um, noise violations, and he's going to have to pay $30,000 in fines or the club's going to close. So it's these three people who have their own issues going out into Christmas Eve, where it does snow, um, to meet at the end at the Kit's Pajamas for this big climactic scene. And it's it's just so charming and lovely. And it's everything that you want out of a Christmas book. Like, it happens at Christmas, and there are mentions of, like, decorations and Christmas caroling and stuff like that. But it's not about Christmas. It's about three really messed up people, wrecked <laughs> people, making something beautiful out of their life in a 24-hour period. And I love it. I just that's, a, that's another one where the setting is a character. Like, Philly yes. is such a good character in that book. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Good one. <laughs> um, my first one is Where'd You Go Bernadette by Maria Semple, uh, which I loved, loved, loved. A bunch of it takes place around the holidays. I am, like, 95% <laughs> sure. Um, and it's so funny and so also moving. So it's about a girl who is – basically looking for her mother. B's mother has like kind of disappeared. Um, Bernadette is the mother and she is an anxious sort of kind of a mess. Um, and B is determined to find her. Um, and the story takes place, interestingly enough, in sort of different media. So there will be like chat transcriptions and letters to the local school board and, you know, diary entries. And it is so well done. Um, It sounds gimmicky. It's really not. Um, And it has all of the like feels that you want out of a holiday story without being super holiday-y. Oh, and some of it is in Antarctica. Um, (laughs) So there's snow. (laughs) And it's got a really rage-filled woman, which is my ultimate genre kryptonite. I will read anything about angry women. Mm -hmm. All right. My second pick for this, I actually have not read, but I popped this question up on the Book Riot back channels and asked the contributors, and this is one that they gave me. So... Oh, I've read it. I can co-sign. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, Lynn, do you want to do you will you want to give well, a synopsis? Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do. Since I'll you do read it. it, I don't. I have I, read it. <laughs> okay, I don't want to say the wrong thing. But Landline by Rainbow Rowell is my pick, and I'll let Jen talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I didn't think of this one myself. Actually, um, so it's great. It's a book about. It does actually have kind of time travel in it, but it's a book about a woman and her husband, and their marriage is on the rocks, um, and she is a successful. Uh, 
writer for television um, and her life is just really bound up in her work and he's sort of at home and is feeling overshadowed and sort of neglected um, and the story goes back and forth between their present timeline and when they met in college so it's a really interesting like look back and forth and then she so they're they're kind of separated over the holidays and she uses a landline phone because her cell phone is dead um, to make a call and ends up talking to the college era version of him and the conversations that they have like sort of spur the plot of the book forward. I'm like making a little bit of a hash of describing this book, but it's really sweet. Um, I thought it was really funny and really well done. Rainbow Rowell is great. Um, she's, she's just so good at dialogue. Um, and this one is a, is a really, it's all phone. Like, I mean, it's not literal transcriptions of phone conversations, but so much of it are, revolves around phone calls. It's really well done. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I kind of sprung that on you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, it's that's that's a really good pick. Okay, so I'm gonna do one more. I had others, but I think this is good. Um, it's Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. Um, if you haven't read Terry Pratchett, he is one of the great comedic fantasy writers of our time um, who it, like manages to do so much more than just tell a good story. Um, and Hogfather is a sort of alternate universe. Santa figure is out of commission. And so death has to deliver all of the holiday presents. Um, Terry Pratchett is really funny. This is like, if you just want something silly, I mean, it is kind of more holiday-y than you're asking for, but I thought a comedic, like silly, fun fantasy would be a good choice. All right. Last question. Here we go. Question six. The holidays are coming up, and here I am, still clinging desperately to Halloween. Okay. I absolutely love horror and dark fantasy, but I would like to read something a bit more seasonally appropriate. Can you recommend any horror or spooky reads with wintry settings or holiday themes? I want to read something chilling. See what I did there. I do see what you did there. (laughs) That was good. Thank you. I do love a pun. Um, And that is from Willow. Okay, um, I'll go first. Um, first. So my first pick is Let the Right One In by John... Oh, I've never said his name out loud before. John Ajvide Lindquist, I'm going to go with. Um, It'll be in the show notes, so please, like, don't... If you're driving, don't try to, like, rewind, whatever. All of the... The list of every every episode, the list of all the books we talk about is in the show notes on the site. Um, So this is a a horror novel about vampires, but it's such a... It's not like a Dracula-style. It's... I guess if, like, if Dracula and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had a horror novel love child, it would kind of be Let the Right One In. So it takes place in autumn in in the 80s in a suburb of Sweden, and it opens with the body of a teenage boy being found, and he's been drained of all of his blood, and so, uh, and you know, murdered, obviously. And so the cops decide that it was probably part of a ritual killing. Um, So it opens with that. And then you're following, the main character is a little boy named Oscar, who's 12, and he is having a hard time. His his mom is not really around much. She works a lot and he gets bullied at school really badly. Um, and then a new girl moves in next door, but he never sees her at school. She only ever comes out at night. She smells like copper, which I thought was such an interesting way of smelling that saying that she smells like blood all the time. Mm. Um, and he never sees her parents. He never sees her, her like the curtains of her windows open. So obviously there's something weird about this girl. And I'm sure you know what it is, <laughs> listeners out there. Um, so the thing that I liked about this is is 
the well the child thing is cool i mean obviously this girl who moves in next door is not young um she's a vampire and has lived for a long time but they befriend each other they become good friends he um she like witnesses him being bullied looking out the window they start to confide in each other when he's outside sitting on the swing set by himself and it's snowing and he has no one to talk to and she is too small herself to commit the crimes necessary to, to sustain herself so she has someone helping her so there's like a, a serial killer element um and the friendship between the two kids well the vampire he's not really a kid but is a kid and oscar you just kind of start to love it like even though this one character is a monster and you're worried for what is going to happen to oscar um they need each other and like they fill a void in each other's lives and it's just such a weird friend story i don't know it's like hard to describe um but you like root for these two to become best buddies even though one of them is a killer um who is hundreds of years old but it's awesome and super creepy probably the creepiest vampire book i've i've ever read that's not a trope that usually gets me it's uh, like I'm not scared of, you know, vampires. Reading vampire novels doesn't make me want to put books in the freezer, but I really wanted to put this book in the freezer. <laughs> it's creepy. I can recommend the original movie as well. There was like a U.S. remake, but yeah. the original is so creepy and good. It is. Ugh, so good. That um, scene at the end. I mean, I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, but- I know. I was just thinking that, <laughs> that scene at the very end. You're like, oh, my God. Go watch the movie. <laughs> I have chills. Okay. Uh, my first pick for this is Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus, who is amazing. Um, it takes place in winter in Detroit. So it's a chilly book. Um, and it follows uh, a couple of characters, one of whom is a cop working uh, the homicide beat. Um, and there is this string of murders happening and she's trying so hard to figure out what is going on. And there's some very mysterious things about these murders. And it also follows her teenage daughter um, who is not like unbelievably precocious, I don't think. Like she's, uh, you know, in her early teens and she's trying to figure out who she is and who her friends are and how to exist in a world where social media means that you live in two worlds, both your physical world and your digital world. Um, and that comes to play a bigger part in the book at the end. So it's kind of a serial killer book. It's also deeply sort of magical, dark, magical horror. Um, I may never go near an art gallery ever, ever again. For real. having read this For real. Book. <laughs> also, if you've read this book, you'll understand I have a bird tattoo and like... Oh my gosh, I never yeah. even thought of that. Yeah, it's Lauren is not nice <laughs> to make me have the thoughts that I have now about bird tattoos. Um, anyway, it's really, really freaking creepy. Uh, and we'll make you shiver for sure. Pun. <laughs> I got it in there. I got it in there. <laughs> I am always here for that. All right. Um, my second pick for you is Nosferatu by Joe Hill. And this is a horror novel that takes place in a place called Christmas Land. So I feel like this is really appropriate for what you're asking. Um, it's about a girl named Victoria. She goes by Vic. And you follow her kind of from her childhood on up into her adulthood. Um, as a kid, she discovers that she has this secret way of finding things. She gets on her bike and goes across this rickety covered bridge in her um, in her town. And as she crosses the bridge, it takes her 
wherever she needs to go to find a thing that's missing. So she's looking for a bracelet. She crosses the bridge and it takes her to the restaurant where she left it. She's looking for a missing picture. She crosses the bridge on her bike and it takes her to the place, um, et cetera, et cetera. But she ha- it, you, she pays a price every time she does that. And um, she's not the only person out there with the ability to cross into this kind of dreamland that's not a dreamland. Um the villain of the book, his name is Charlie Manx, and he has this 38 wraith, like a, an old Rolls Royce with the license plate that says Nosferatu. Um, and he is a very Nosferatu type character. Uh, and in his car, he slips into the real world and kidnaps children and then slips out of the real world into this dreamland and takes them to an amusement park he calls Christmasland and keeps them there. So these kids never grow up and they never um, escape. He gets Vic one day, this girl, uh, in their whatever dream world, and she she does escape. She's the only kid to ever get away from him, and she grows up and becomes the really troubled, I think, comic book artist. She drinks a lot, whatever. Um, and then through a series of events, Charlie comes back and to cut and like wants to get after her because she's the only person who ever escaped from him, and he takes her son. And to draw her out. And so that's that's the story, is that she's on this quest to defeat this big baddie and get her son back. And Christmas Land is the scariest, like, it's just so creepy. I, I, I can't deal with, like, ornaments anymore because of what <laughs> these kids do. And the reason, the way that Charlie is evil in this book is that, I mean, obviously he kidnaps children. Um, but the influence that he exerts over them is he takes away... He makes them completely childlike in their inability to tell right from wrong. So, like, I don't know how much experience the person asking the questions has with kids, but kids are are sociopaths, right? Like, they don't have, they don't know um, why something that they say hurts somebody's feelings until you tell them. They don't know why they can't beat up a kid, you know, who did something wrong. A three-year-old doesn't know not to hit until you tell them not to hit, that kind of thing. And if you never, if you take a child and never correct that, all of the kids end up like what the, the like the sociopath that you would get if you never corrected that in a child, and then you put them in a Christmas themed amusement park and oh. lets them torture people, and like that's just what happens, and it's just it's horrifying. It's a horrifying book, and yeah, I mean I love it, but it's super creepy, and Christmas weirds me out now. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> All right, awesome. Now I'm done. <laughs> You're. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, okay, so my pick is uh, my second pick for this is Chimera by David Wellington. It is a dark science fiction book. It's not exactly horror, um, but there are these horrible mutanty creatures on the loose. And the main character is a veteran soldier who's been previously relegated to a desk job because of his amputee status. And he gets tapped to sort of go after them and try to help clean up this mess um, that is occurring because they have broken free from where they were supposed to be. Uh, <clears throat> because, of course, you know, people manufacture monsters all the time. Um And it does end up in a frozen wasteland, and it is super readable, enjoyable, and is pretty gory. Like, I had to put it down a few times and be like, I'm not going to eat while I'm reading this Ew, gross. (laughs) Um, So if you are into gore and also monsters and um, really awesome action, it's got a lot of good action sequences. It hence the gore. Um, But you get action before you get the gore, which is fun. Um, and, uh, And I really enjoyed it a lot. 
That's our show. We did it. Jazz hands. <laughs> so thanks everybody for writing in and everybody who is listening. Um, if you enjoy the show, please go rate us on iTunes. Leave a review. You can find us on, sh- on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. Um, I would usually thank the sponsors here, but I'm my own sponsor this week. So thanks to me. <laughs> thank you, me. Uh, if you have any uh, recommendation requests that you would like answered, shoot them on over to getbooked at bookride.com and we will talk to y'all later. Have a great holiday. Happy holidays. <laughs>